one of the first things I really was surprised by was the level of distrust actually between the black community and the white community. I certainly expected that, but um, yeah, and that's, that's not universal. Like it doesn't, it doesn't filter down to the individual level, like people, everybody's very respectful and people get along and but but at you know when you kind of back up like and we start to see these stories like that that depth of mistrust and I think what I really gain um, from the stories because a lot of those obviously the stories weren't stories I knew and I thought I knew what systemic racism was going into this and oh my gosh like the rabbit hole goes so deep. In Richmond, Virginia, Exchange alumni Julia Beabout and Grady Hart teamed up to foster difficult conversations about the shared past, present, and future. Using augmented reality, their project, Monumental Conversations, centers on the undertold stories of Black resilience and excellence in Richmond. Come with us as we find out how it all began in this second part of our series on the transformational power of AR. My name is uh, Julia Beabout. I'm the CEO and Creative Director at Novabuy. Uh, we are an award-winning um, augmented reality studio specializing in AR placemaking, um, space activations, and tours. And really, my career today can be traced directly to my um, U.S. State Department exchange opportunities, um, in particular, my critical language scholarship. Uh, which I did in 2012. Um, it was for Mandarin, and I got to spend eight glorious, amazing weeks in Xi'an, China, um, with an amazing group of uh, U.S. Uh, co-U.S. scholarship winners. We met actually um, at a Thais conference. Um, gosh, when was that now? I lost track of time. I think it was December. Yes, December 2019. So um, pre-COVID and we uh, really just hit it off. And uh, so we were in a breakout session and I heard him mention a project that he had in mind and I just loved the idea and our eyes met across the room and, <laughs> and it was a, a magical, magical project moment. So um, after that, we started um, talking about uh, you know what the project could be and he was interested in AR what what I would have been talking about so the project um, it's, it's an augmented reality tour um, kind of slash experience it's a little bit more of a tour but conceptually it's a traditional kind of audio visual walking tour but many of those visuals are actually augmented reality elements 3d elements that you can um, interact with. So it kind of, if you interact with the 3D content, um, it takes you kind of to deeper levels of story, um, additional stories, additional visual content, such as historic photographs, um, that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, I would say the, the most exciting part to me was a working with the community. Uh, the, obviously COVID slowed things down and everything, but even, regardless of that, you know, we really worked with the community a good year and a half to kind of understand what what stories they felt should be told. Um, and so really the the content that is in there, the histories that are in there are 
just so exciting. They're literally um, stories of black resilience and black resistance that have un gone undertold, some even untold for 150 years. So it really just time timeliness of the project ended up being right on with all of the protests and concerns and everything like that. So the project was really kind of reconceived um, as it, or needed to be reconceived as a result of everything that was happening um, in 2020 and 2021. And we did even actually consider initially once the um, statues came down because the original idea of the project was to kind of contextualize the Confederate statues that were along uh, Monument Avenue. And of course they started coming down in June of 2020, thank goodness. And we kind of thought, well, do should we even just continue with the project? And we, everybody that was involved decided, no, it's actually a more important project now to kind of contextualize why these have been so contentious, why they've come down and, and all that. So it ended up, we kind of had to reconceptualize stories, the whole idea of what we were trying to achieve, um, but it ended up being a much, much, much better project. And uh, to me, the most um, interesting example of that is actually the first stop on the tour, which is at the entrance to the Virginia Museum of History and Culture. Um, I'm sorry, the Virginia Museum of Art, excuse me, um, Museum of Art on Arthur Ashe Boulevard, where there is a amazing statue um, uh, by Kahinde Wiley of a young black man in dreadlocks on a horse. And that uh, statue was inspired by the Jeb Stewart statue that used to stand at the far end, the other end of Monument Avenue. And it was really meant to be kind of a, a replica in a sense, but changing out uh, Jeb Stewart with this young black man in dreadlocks and Nike sneakers and a hoodie and the whole bit. And um, and so once the Jeb Stewart statue was gone, it kind of lost that visual conversation that it was intended to be in. And so in AR, we are able to, uh, we actually recreated the Jeb Stewart statue in AR and the user um, doing the tour is able to place that next to the rumors of war statue and actually see it in the visual conversation that it's intended to be. So I think that's to me, the most exciting part is like AR and that this tour has enabled us to really bring things together that there's no other way to, to do that. With restrictions in place due to the global pandemic, Julia and her team were no longer able to launch monumental conversations when they intended. Everything stopped. But instead of giving up, the team amended their plans, learning from a previous AR project, as well as from one also being launched at that time that recreated the Black Hawk Jazz Club in the Tenderloin District of San Francisco. I would say, you know, the lessons learned were really about, you know, bend and flex with what the world gives you, right? There's... Um, really it sounds trite but you know just whatever challenges kind of come your way like just transform them into an opportunity and i i would say every project i've had um even my even the hackathon project um back that we did um, a few years ago uh in the tenderloin as well just 
again, like our, our, we lost our venue. We thought we'd have unexpectedly, um, you know, same kind of thing with the Blackhawk project. Uh, we were working on a component and it just COVID blew that apart and we couldn't do that anymore. And so, you know, both, both those instance, instances and just like I was talking with monumental conversations, the statues went away. I mean, like literally the baseline of our project disappeared, literally. <laughs> And so really thinking like, you know, looking at those and be like, okay, it's that forcing you to um, come up with a different solution. And every single time that has happened on each of these projects, it has led to a better project. I think what I've learned is that, um, and that have applied to both of those projects is anytime that happens, it becomes a wonderful opportunity to engage additional stakeholders in your project, which then builds more relationships and strengthens the community. Um, so I think, and that really, um, for me, what what we do in AR, and I think Grady, you know, as outreach coordinator, that is really at the core of what we're trying to do. This is project-based learning. In this case, augmented reality was the was the medium, um, but it's really you know project-based learning, project-based um, community building, and so as long as you keep that goal front and center, is how do we center the people? How do we help them get to know each other and wrestle with this content and and develop bonds that'll outlast the project? Um, I think there's many ways to to meet that goal and. Um, so I think those are kind of the lessons learned um, between the two, you know, or three really projects. Reconstructing history can bring back painful memories, but it wasn't just that that altered the application of monumental histories. Julia had engaged the Black community to find the stories that needed to be told, but she also involved them in how they felt about the final product. What she would discover went beyond the past into how continuing racism affects engaging with your own history in the present. One of the main things we, we do in that tour is um, Monumental, Monument Avenue has been a, a, was an exclusively whites only space for over a hundred years, pretty much 75 years. Um, and it was intentionally designed to be that way. Um, those statues were um, intentionally put there and intended to be billboards at that time of oppression. Um, the, they were also just part of, that's, that's kind of one string. They were also part of just developing that area, right? Like the, um, the commercialization of building a new development and how do I appeal to to people that I want to live there. And that's really what started the Lee statue, right? So, um, and then how, how, how that, what's called the lost cause narrative that developed around this really drove and shaped that. And that kind of gets to the, 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 the core of why I feel, why I love these things. I think they're just so fascinating how we, conceptualize and imagine our environment and overlay our culture onto the physical landscape. To me, there's kind of the um, imagined space, 
and the physical space. So our imagined environment and our physical environment are not necessarily the same. And, you know, I've actually just run into that on a project we're working right now and talking with the clients on that and trying to help them, th th this lack of alignment between the physical environment, the historical environment, and the cultural environment or landscapes. And those are three different things. The boundaries of those are different. And so to me, that's really like, that's, I just, you know, I, I don't know why I just love that those kinds of conversations about how our imagined world, our, our worldview is overlaid onto the physical landscape. The significance of AR and placemaking can be distilled into two parts. It can be used to connect residents to their heritage, and it can showcase the city to those outside so that they can begin to understand and get to know it in a new way. But how do you reconcile histories that conflict with one another, are painful, or involve the subjugation of one group under another? In that situation, this lost cause narrative, or what came, came to literally be called the lost cause narrative, they named it themselves, <laughs> uh, in the late 1800s, um, was really people wrestling, I, I don't want to make any excuses, but um, there were, and there was a few strains, but if, if we look at it, that there was people wrestling, um, particularly white Southern elites, um, wrestling with a tremendous amount of loss, both of people, physical, everything, wealth in their lives. And um, they began to, um, that's part of what we do as humans is create a story to justify our losses, to explain our lives. Um, and so that story that was developed and I'm not, you know, it was certain degree in that situation contrived, but a lot of it was just, again, natural human instinct to, to justify was that, you know, this, the war wasn't really about slavery, that it was about loyalty and states rights. Now there was definitely going on at the same time, um, deliberate political, uh, um, intentions behind that story as well, the late 1800s, early 1900s. And that story, um, I think that was the part of the, the history that I didn't know, is the intentionality of the politics behind it. And just like literally the Virginia State Constitution was rewritten and not put to vote. <laughs> and that Constitution, um, they just instituted it in 19, whatever, 07, I can't, I can't remember the date right now, uh, instituted it, and it literally circumscri circumscribed blacks from voting for the next 75 years. And to give an example, in Jackson Ward, where the historically black neighborhood um, was and has been in Virginia, um, there was, uh, I'll get the number, exact numbers wrong, but there was, um, over almost 3,000 people registered to vote in Jackson Ward um, before the Constitution. Um, after the Constitution was put into place, there was only 98 eligible voters left that met the criteria. So, you know, you have these kind of things coming together of this reimagining of or, or trying to reconcile their losses 
coming together with these political intentions and that literally being engraved into the landscape there um, through the statues, through the zoning, and then ultimately in mid-century through the urban renewal process of putting I-95 in. And so, um, you know, getting back to your question about, you know, AR placemaking, um, you know, in this situation, what we were trying to do is kind of come at and uncover like this meaning, this history and, and um, help bring another narrative, a more truthful, inclusive narrative to that space. And what I loved about um, or what, yeah, I mean, what I loved about what ended up happening with 2020 and this project in particular um, was that there was a lot of organic placemaking occurring. So placemaking is something we all do naturally, just like we all, you know, develop stories around our memories and um, all of that. And so um, th there was a lot of organic placemaking going on on Monument Avenue, which is many of the um, the, the photographs that you saw from 2020 um, with the George Floyd um, projection art and, um, you know, Breonna Taylor and Harriet Tubman and all that on the Lee statue, that was all happening right where we um, have, uh, where the tour is today. So many people kind of coming in and just being together in that space and redefining, reclaiming that space for um, for Black Americans as well as white Americans. Um, and so, you know, it's a very um, powerful, potent process, I would say, that we all do naturally and what, um, and it influences all of our lives. And we're not necessarily very conscious of it. And so, you know, what we try to bring through AR placemaking is a more conscious effort um, on that or conscious understanding um, that you could look at the Monumental Conversations project as one as kind of a deconstruction project. But what we've done in the Tenderloin is kind of the other direction. It's a construction project. So uh, with that, um, the Tenderloin, as an example, um, has, you know, it was a very underappreciated area, like all of the challenges we have in America are on full display there. Um, but the, but and so it's, it has a very, it's a problem. Like that's the way it's thought of in, in San Francisco. And it is, there are many, many deep um, prop, complex problems going on there, but it's also an incredible neighborhood. Um, I always say there's two tenderloins there. There's the tenderloin you see on the street, which is what most people think of. And then there's the tenderloin behind closed doors, which is a wonderful community. I mean, it reminds me of, or I shouldn't say reminds me of it, it's kind of the way I imagine in some ways like a 1950s neighborhood would be. It's a very tight neighborhood. Um, there's wonderful play spaces behind um, the closed doors and courtyards and um, just lots of community um, support. And um, but what, so what we wanted to show with that project is that that there is this other side to the Tenderloin, but also that there's this incredible history in the Tenderloin. Um, of, you know, the Tenderloin has been very much like, a, you know, engine of radical inclusion from day one that San Francisco is now known for. And so there was kind of a two-pronged goal with, with that project, again, kind of using the, the construction side of placemaking, of reconnecting the residents with 
this rich history um, of their neighborhood and then also showcasing that to people outside so they begin to understand the, na the neighborhood um, and see it in a different way. Um, and so that was kind of the goal, uh, some of the goals with that project. I think what was um, for me like most rewarding about that is we, that project, we had, we worked with the Boys and Girls Club, the local Tenderloin Boys and Girls Club there, the middle schoolers to create artworks and stories for the, um, the billboards that used to populate the Black Hawk on the outside. And um, so we did field trips with them. We took them to the Tenderloin, there's a museum, we took them to the Tenderloin Museum. So they got introduced to a lot of history and stories about their neighborhood of places in their neighborhood, literally that they walk by all the time and they had no idea like what these places were about. And, um, and it really, you know, they're middle schoolers. I don't want to overstate it, but it really did. They, they, saw, they saw their neighborhood in a different light right? Um, they're used to just seeing everything on the street. And so suddenly they're realizing there's used to be a building here and there used to, there's stories there. There's life stories, people that have literally changed jazz that I walk by every day, or, you know, this building survived the fire. And, you know, so what we, ha we worked with them to do was find stories that they wanted to tell about their neighborhood, whether that's past, present or future. And um, they did that and it really, um, you know, began to change, you know, how they saw their neighborhood and in that sense, understand where they're living and where they're from. And then that kind of changes how they understand themselves. Um, so that's kind of what's behind placemaking is that um, understanding, um, you know, how people relate to the places around them and understand themselves in light of that. And then we overlay kind of the collective memory theory on top of that of bringing in the historical stories and helping people to kind of, um, uh, you know, meld those together um, in, a, in an intentional way. Next up, we'll hear from Julia's partner in AR, Mandela Washington Reciprocal Fellow, Exchange alumni Grady Hart, whose involvement in monumental conversations was heavily informed by his own work with the Richmond Public School System. 